0: So we are in a uh, message series, started last week. I encourage you, if you have not, if you weren't here last week, I encourage you to go to um, livingwordumc.org. Scroll down to, I I think one of the banners is media, one of the links, and uh, find uh, the sermon from last week. And um, hopefully that would uh, help you with uh, this. The series on judgment is one I've been wanting to preach for 20 years but never have figured out how to really work around it and um, to, to make it work. Still working on it, I'm finding. As uh, 5.30 this morning, I was rewriting again. Um, so I encourage you as we get uh, through this four weeks to, to listen to all four. It's, it's not One sermon on this is not a complete topic, and uh, I think that's what I struggle with the most. I'm finding I could do uh, 12 weeks on this and just get started. We're going to stop at four. Um, so, as we as we think about judgment, um, uh, what what we're doing in this in this time frame is helping you uh, consider what it means to have the mind of Christ. So last week we talked about that, that, that in Scripture it tells us, in, the same, um, uh, in your relationships have the same mind that was in Jesus Christ. That's from Philippians 2. And, and so it's our goal to open ourselves up to the possibility that we will think the thoughts of Christ rather than the junk that rolls around in our heads. What might it be like for you? What what might it look like? What might it feel like? How might you do that to rearrange the thought process in your own mind, to open yourself up to think as Christ thought? And, and to do that, we need to cover some of those topics. So these four weeks are on judgment. Next four weeks are on forgiveness. It seemed like the right order to put those two in. Um, so uh, as we as we go into this, uh, keep in mind, that's what we're working on, is, is seeking to develop for ourselves ourselves the mind of Christ, to, to think as Christ thought. And as we think as Christ thought, what comes out of our mouths and what comes out of our actions are more Christ-like toward others. So this first passage um, uh, from uh, Matthew 7 is uh, probably familiar to you, uh, whether you've been in church your whole life or this is your first time. And the reason it's probably familiar is most of us, it's part of the the, the lexicon of our culture that, that we use the phrase, judge not lest ye be judged. We can all say that we know that's in the Bible. Most of us don't know where it is, but I know it's in there. Um, and, and maybe you didn't know that those are actually Jesus's words. Now that's the the Old English version of it. Here it is in today's language. I'm going to be reading chapter seven, verses one to five. Do not judge so that you may not be judged. For with the judgment you make, you will be judged. And the measure you give you will be, measu- will be the measure you get. Why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye, but do not notice the log in your own eye? Or how can you say to your neighbor, let me take the speck out of your eye while the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So in this, uh, in this series, um, uh, you might recognize that I'm trying to uh, uh, divide an understanding between judgment, or judging, and judgmentalism. All of us know that judgmentalism is wrong, and judging may or may not be right. But the one we can probably default to say, you know, I shouldn't be judgmental. It's unfair to say I shouldn't judge. I believe all of us are called upon to judge. I think, I think it's one of those gifts God gave us, the ability to judge between right and wrong, between good and bad, between speed limit and over. We all know what that looks like. To, to, uh, to judge, then, is, um, is something that just comes natural to us. God created us. With the ability to judge. I, I said um, a, a while ago that, that God has given us a great gift we call memory, right? That's one of those gifts God gave us. And I, I, I share time and again, and this is just my example for that. God gave us the gift of memory to remind us not to put our hands on the hot stove a second time, right? That's memory. God gave us the gift of judgment because there are times that we are called upon to judge between what is right and what is wrong. And and sometimes those are safety things. And the example I used last week is if you're walking down the sidewalk and a guy's coming the other way with a big bloody knife and there's no butcher shop nearby, you might want to judge that his intentions are bad and cross to the other side of the street. Fair? I don't know whether his intentions are bad or not, but for my own safety, I'm crossing. I'm going to the other side of the street. So judgment is a gift. It's not that you shouldn't judge. It's how you judge that is the part that that we need to work on. It's also fair to judge people based on your memory of them. Here's um, an example uh, uh, that I knew of a man who um, in his business life had embezzled and he served time for it, and he got out. Not everybody knew that part of his life. They did know his business acumen. And somebody suggested he ought to be on the finance team. In my memory, I knew that maybe that's not such a good idea. Am I being judgmental, or am I judging that that would be not such a good idea For two reasons. Number one, it's my responsibility to care for the assets of the church. And number two, it's my responsibility to care for him. And why would I put him in a place of temptation? Isn't that a fair judgment? I think so. And, so, and so I think we're called upon to, to make those judgments and to, and to, to consider uh, those things as we go into it. Um, I, I have had the, the great privilege in, um, uh, in my life to get to know judges, several judges personally. Um, some have been in congregations, some have been in other reasons I've gotten to meet them, not for my own personal experience, don't go there, you're judging. and um, One of them was named Bill. Now, when I met Bill, I was in my early 30s. I was associate pastor at Salem Church there at Forty and Lindbergh, and um, Bill was in his 80s. So, um, so Bill has passed since. Um, Bill was a judge. Actually, Bill, first of all, was one of the funniest guys I ever knew. Uh, he, just, he just had that nature about him that you knew the next line coming out of his mouth was going to cause you to laugh. One, one example, I, 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 don't, I don't know if I've ever told this before, but I've told people about it before. So Bill one time came to me, um, I was associate pastor at the church, he said, Dave, could you possibly, instead of teaching the children, teach, because uh, I was teaching sixth grade I think, um, could you teach during Sunday school time, could you teach my older adult class? I said, I'd be glad to, I can, I can arrange that, I'd be glad to. Bill, tell me about your format, what do you do? And he said, he said well we begin with an organ recital. Bill, I don't play the organ. And he goes, oh, no, 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 no. We all sit around and talk about what organ ails us. (laughs) That's always funny. I've been telling that joke since I met Bill 25 years ago. It's always funny. Um, so Bill was just that sense. I mean, I don't know if you ever put funny and judge together in the same sentence, but he was. He was, he was a humorist. I think maybe, maybe because he was born in Hannibal, Missouri, grew up there at a time. You know, figure Bill was 80 years old in the 90s. So, so he grew up in Hannibal, Missouri at a time where, you know, the whole Mark Twain literature formed that community. And I think he just picked up on the humorous side of Mark Twain and, and lived that in his life. But Bill was a history major in college and he became a, um, a lawyer and um, uh, served in the, the U.S. Uh, House of Representatives and then became a circuit court judge. And Bill had one particular case that really impacted him his family, you and me. And Bill would never talk about the case. Bill would say, I brought it up to him one time, I wanted to kind of pick his brain on it, I brought it up to him and he said, why don't we talk about a cheerier subject? His wife would talk about it. Dotty would be more than happy to talk to you about it. Um, I think Dottie's passed as well, but Dottie would have been happy to talk about it. Um, and I did talk to her a few times. Here's what Dottie told me. Because of the case that was before him, he had death threats, they had bricks thrown through their front window, and their children were ostracized in school. You see, the case that was before Bill and that he finally determined had given him a huge weight on his shoulders. Not just the weight of his family, but the weight of the history change he was about to make. Being a student of history, he knew what that meant. He understood that what he was doing was going to impact not only St. Louis, but a far greater area. Bill had the responsibility of deciding on desegregation and busing in St. Louis. And it changed him. It changed me because I I remember I went to Parkway Central in a time when uh, there were very few people that didn't look like me at Parkway Central. It might be that way today. I mean the only difference was I was Protestant and the rest were Jewish. But because of busing we had several students that were African-American. And because of that, I got to meet people that I had never met before, except for some of the employees of my dad's construction company. Really, I had no experience with African Americans until, really, until I got to middle school and high school. And I met some good, wonderful people who didn't have a life experience that I had. And it changed the way that I think about people who are different from me. But going into that decision, Bill felt the heavy weight of the decision he had in front of him. He knew the implication was not just for St. Louis. But the implication in deciding the way he decided would impact the whole nation. And it did. And Bill was so aware of that. Bill Hungate was his name. Bill Hungate was so aware of that that it weighed heavy upon him even 40 years after the decision was made. Now, 30, 35, after the decision was made. When we judge, I wonder if we feel the same weight. Do you feel that when you, when you make a judgment about somebody else? Do you feel the weight of it? I don't think so. I think that, I think that we are so immersed in our own judgment... So immersed in having done it so often that we forget that there is a heavy weight that has an impact beyond our own thought process. Because when you make a judgment on someone else, especially when it's unfair and unconsidered, doesn't that change the way you relate to them? And if it changes the way you relate to them, isn't that unfair? isn't how does how does that align with loving your neighbor that prejudging or prejudice you might have toward your neighbor how does that align how does that work out i I, I think um uh, so there's a, there's a phrase that, that um, uh, has kind of become popular. Um, I've seen it in books here recently. Just a word called blind spot. You know what a blind spot is? Uh, you know, when you're driving along, Nancy actually is driving a car that's a rental because her car's in the shop. And so um, I was sitting in the passenger seat. We're driving down um, uh, Highway 100 from way out uh, uh, west, and it's dark and raining. And all of a sudden, this little light blinks. By, by me. And then I realized it's right there at the side view mirror. And what it was telling Nancy as she's driving, she sees this little blinking light. It's telling her that she's on the inside lane and somebody's coming up in her blind spot. So that's what a blind spot is when you're driving. We all know that, right? You, you know that as you're driving, there's parts where you can't easily see unless you put your head on a swivel and try to look around. You can't easily see. There's blind spots. Do you have blind spots in your life? Are there parts of the way that you act that you're unaware? But you do it because it's just who you are. It's just the way you were brought up. It's it's just what you were taught for so many years. What's your blind spot? Are you unable to see where you might be wrong? If you are, somebody next to you could probably help you. Seriously, because we're the only ones blind to our blind spots. It's usually other people around us who are maybe unfairly judging us, but there are other people around us that can see. We're maybe, we're not quite where we need to be. For us, it's like um, the phrase, you can't see the forest for the trees. Or, or, Or the fish that says, what water? We're so immersed in it, we don't see it. Or in the case of judging, we don't feel the weight of it on our shoulders. The weight of the seriousness of the judging. It's all about self-awareness. You know, when I talk about this whole series on judgment, it's not about our task to judge others. It's about what is happening in our lives that causes us to feel the need or desire to judge. What are the things that we're missing within ourselves that are causing us to to, uh, think that that our task is is to judge others? In that that whole blind spot thing, the the idea that, that, uh, that maybe there's a part of our own lives that is unconsidered, but because of the way we grew up, it's who we've become. And maybe, just maybe, that's sin. I'm, I'm going I'm to go down a trail that I, I hope you'll follow me and and um, let me know if you think I'm way off base. I don't think I am, but let me know. Feel free to email me. Or remember, I said you can email Jill. And she'll tell me. <laughs> uh, but... so. Um, uh, from the old Catholic Church, uh, um, they, they came up with a list of, here are, here are sins you need to know about. They called them the seven deadly sins, right? Let's put that up, those seven deadly sins. Uh, lust, wrath, gluttony, envy, greed, pride, sloth. Um, I think it was Pope Benedict who came up with a more modern version of it. But but there they are, the, the, the seven deadly sins. Now, follow me on this. Let's say, um, as a part of your life, you have a tendency... To look at people who are overweight or underweight and think thoughts about them, positive or negative. Just, I mean, it is in your nature to look at a person who is rail thin and think they really need to eat more, or someone who's overweight and think they can't control themselves. Now, what if, what if it were true that you grew up in a situation? where body image was enculturated within you. Where all of our advertising, all of our magazines, all of our, you know, Sports Illustrated stuff, all of that stuff were were a part of who you were told were the people you ought to be attracted to and everyone outside of that body image is unattractive. Attraction has something to do with the sin of lust. Could it be that your judgments on other people are your lust? Okay, I knew that was a a long one. That That was the one that was way out there. So let me look at it in a different way. You drive into the church parking lot this morning and you see somebody getting out of a car that you cannot afford. And you ask yourself... Who did they have to cheat to get that? What behavior, or did you just not think it, you just saw them, saw the nice car, and immediately you didn't like them based on what they drove, without considering maybe the envy that was in your heart? Okay, here's one for uh, um, those of us who are, uh, uh, not for the millennials, but those of us that look at the millennials and say, you know what? They suffer from the sin of sloth because they just don't want to work hard. Did you know social studies, sociological studies have taught us that millennials probably work harder than any previous generation, but only on the things they want to work hard on, only on the things they feel called to. They probably work harder than you do on the things they want to do. But because we judge them based on what we think they ought to be doing, based on the standards we have, we look at it and we say, sloth, they don't work hard. Am I way off on this? Anybody, no, don't raise your hand. Nobody wants to admit that might be them. And the same things are true for gluttony and, and greed. And what about pride? Do you know, the uh, um, uh, there's, there's a, 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 a story in the Bible where Jesus is talking to his uh, um, disciples and, and he points out that there's a guy that's a Pharisee. Remember, that's the religious of the religious of the day. And there's a Pharisee standing there praying and he's going, Lord, I'm so thankful I'm not like that guy. Now, you need to know this. That was a prayer that was prayed by Pharisees. He wasn't making it up in that moment. That was one of the standard prayers of a Pharisee. Lord, I'm so glad I'm not like that guy, but if you and I prayed that, wouldn't that be pride? We're making a judgment on him based on what we thought we ought to be, and he doesn't measure up. Isn't that pride? Pride. So another passage of of scripture that that maybe relates to this Um, is uh, from Galatians 5. Now, uh, you probably, if you were here when I first got here a year and a half ago, you heard a lot about Galatians 5 because in Galatians 5, um, we talked about the fruits of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 21-22, that go, uh, the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, and in, in looking at that, what I said was that it's not what we get out of the Spirit of God being in us, but what we offer. We bear fruit, we offer fruit to others, we offer Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But what if we flip that? What would be the opposite? Well, the author of Galatians offered that to us. He gave us the opposite of the fruits of the Spirit, and he gave it before. In chapter uh, uh, Galatians 5, 19 to 21, he says this. and This is uh, sometimes called the works of the flesh. So instead of what the Spirit is doing in our lives, what are we allowing ourselves to do? What are the things that, that we are too focused on and therefore judge people based on? It is obvious, this is a, a, the message translation, by the way, not um, uh, from the same translation I read earlier. It is obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time. Are your judgments about self centeredness, trying to get your own way? Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex, a stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage, frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness, trinket gods, magic show religion, paranoid loneliness, cutthroat competition, all-consuming and yet never satisfied once, a brutal temper, an impotence to love or be loved, divided homes and divided lives, small-minded and lopsided pursuits, the vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival. Think about that the vicious habit of depersonalizing anyone everyone into a rival if you are passing judgment on other people without having the opportunity to walk a mile in their shoes or to get to know them better aren't you depersonalizing them as something you judge and therefore they're the other people the other the evil the wrong Rather than opening yourself up to the possibility that they could be, you, you could find them as someone that you can live in a loving relationship with, the love type of love that God calls us to in Jesus Christ. A vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival, uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions, ugly parodies of, commu- of community. It's about that log in your eye. It's about that that blind spot, or as Jesus uses, let's stick with that metaphor a minute, the log in your eye. You've all had a, a, a time in your life, maybe you were at a beach and the wind blew and got sand in your eye, or everybody's had a speck in their eye at some point, right? No one. You're so fortunate. Yes? Thank you. Okay. Um, this It's okay to interact, especially by email to Jill, but it's okay to interact with me on this. Um, <laughs> um, so... When you had a speck in your eye that you just couldn't get out, how does that affect your vision in the untreated eye, the uninjured eye? Isn't it harder to see? I mean, when I've got something in my eye, I can't open either one of them. And so that log that's in our eye that we may not even notice, the person next to you does, but we may not even notice this huge failing part of our own affects the way we see other people. It's the filter through which we see. And we don't see well because both eyes are a mess when one eye is messed up. That log in the eye causes us not to see the world in a proper way. It's, it is for us then the difference between judgment and And judgmentalism, judgment is when someone in proper authority pronounces sentence on another based upon clear evidence of a legally described wrongdoing. That's when we have the authority, we talked a little bit about that last week, when we have the authority, we don't have the authority, we said last week, we don't have the authority to judge people outside the church. That's God's job. Our job is on the inside. But then we have to do it with with pronouncing sentences on, on another based upon clear evidence of a legally described wrongdoing. Judgmentalism, then, is when you or I harbor unconsidered and subconscious thoughts about others. And they're so often based on our upbringing and a social standard we're trying to hold them to. You see, judgment is holding people to an appropriate social standard. Judgmentalism is holding them to our own definition of the social standard. Judgment is about what is accepted by everyone. Everyone. Judgmentalism is when we center it on ourselves and decide about someone. This scripture that I, that I read... Um, that has uh, uh, Judge Not, and uh, it has the log in the eye thing. This scripture comes in uh, Matthew 7. Now, if you didn't know this, you've heard of the Sermon on the Mount, maybe. Um, You've heard of the Beatitudes, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall have peace. Um, You've heard of that. That's at the very beginning of this three-chapter sermon that Jesus gives. I've never preached a three-chapter sermon Good Lord, I'm going long. Um, so this, uh, uh, that, that's this, this, this long sermon that, that, that Jesus gives in Matthew 5 through 7. And so this is part of that sermon, this, uh, this judge not, is part of this whole um, understanding of people who have come to Jesus, they want to follow Jesus, and Jesus is saying, you want to follow me, Then here's how to do it. So he's talking to people inside, the inside circle. He's talking to you and me. You got a log in your eye. Why are you judging someone else he says? In um in uh when, when people come before uh, uh, the Board of Ordained Ministry, it's a team I serve on to decide who's going to be ordained as a pastor, um, um, one of the things we used to do, it was a requirement for me, um, was clinical pastoral education, and in clinical pastoral education, uh, you go to a, a clinical setting. like I went to a hospital, um, and my job was, I was the on-call uh, uh, chaplain for ICU and ER end-of-life issues. And then when we had a week that was kind of quiet, then I just went to the uh, the certain hospital uh, wing and just prayed for people um, if I hadn't been up all night praying for someone in an ER. Um, And so you you do the clinical stuff, and then you go to a, a class setting, and you talk about it. And it takes you three or four weeks till you begin to figure out this has nothing to do with the patient. It's all about your mess, They're trying to pick apart my mess. Now, there's a reason for picking apart my mess, and the reason is that that I can't relate to someone who, say, is dying of cancer if I am so caught up in a loved one of my own that's dying. I can't relate to someone who has suffered a a horrific accident and and if, if I've just dealt with that on my own. If I can't separate my stuff from theirs, I can't love them the way I'm called to. And that was clinical pastoral education, to, to say I've got to be able to step back from my own stuff in order to step up and love people. Is that similar to judgment? I've got I've to... I've got to remember, I've got to realize what my blind spots are and what my judgmentalism is so that I can love someone. It's no longer a requirement of, uh, um, of uh, people who are ordained. Instead, we have a, a, a what we call EQI, Emotional Quotient Inventory. And it's kind of a, trying to get to the same thing. The idea is, um, uh, are, you, um, are you emotionally able to interact in a positive way that brings life to the other person. Because if you're not, you got to deal with your stuff before we ordain you into ministry. Are you emotionally present? I think the the old way was better. That might be a judgment on my part. Don't we always think the old way is better? What's your stuff? What's the stuff that causes you to, to judge? What's the log in your eye? that causes you to leap to assumptions and make judgments on others. One of my, one of my goals with every sermon is that I, I don't want anybody to come out of worship feeling beat up. I, I, I don't, you get that outside of here. But I couldn't figure out how to preach the, a message like this on judging without, without just sending you out uncomfortable a little bit. Without just sending you out thinking, he was a little preachy today. Sometimes we need that. At least that's my judgment. And maybe that's your judgment on me that I was too preachy. Forgive me if I was. Amen and amen.